This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, throughout your favorite podcast gimmicks that were available. And by the way, let me just say this. If you're listening to us right now, hopefully you know that we're over on a lot of different social media gimmicks, including Facebook now. Just search for us, Cajun Strong Style, and also on Twitter. We recently changed the Twitter handle name. I'll get, go ahead and get that out front street first. And now it's at Cajun Strong Pod, at Cajun Strong Pod, C-A-J-U-N Strong Pod. It's just that simple. So I had to change it up a little bit. So we're making some changes, but hopefully there are going to be changes that are necessary. Because Cajun Strong Style just didn't fit like in terms of the, it fit us. But I think at the end of the day, it just doesn't fit the actual name limits that we have on Twitter. Facebook is a different story. We're going to be on Instagram a little bit, a little bit further down the road. That's something we'll we'll deal with when it comes down to it. But I'm enjoying the fact that we are officially on Facebook. Make sure you go check us out and search Cajun Strong Style while you're at it. Meanwhile, let's get into NXT Takeover in your house. In fact, at the time we're taping this, the big breaking news just happened with Samoa Joe showing up in NXT. I'll talk about that on next week's show when we review Hell in a Cell and everything else going on around the world of sports entertainment. But I want to just get right down to brass tacks and talk about NXT TakeOver in your house. A really good TakeOver, but I think in comparison to all the other ones we've seen in the past, it just feels like a samey kind of show, and that's it's not a bad thing to me because I think they absolutely had some fantastic stuff here. It just felt like everything was so good, but none of it really hit that like top-tier NXT TakeOver show. But I love this all the way around. First off, I gotta say, the, the biggest up I have for the show, and I'll mention it throughout, is the fact they kept having like send ups of the old school WWF in your house. Showing like sending up the new generation slogan, saying NXT for over a decade, being the worldwide leader in sports and entertainment, that was funny and I popped for it. Todd Pettengill voicing over the card rundown, him showing up to start the show, all that was fantastic. Now comes the negative. It's a compliment sandwich because I'll I'll give the I'll put the other bread out in front in a minute. But this crowd throughout the show, at certain points, was dead as hell. I have never seen an NXT crowd that quiet. I was like, "What the bleep is going? What the actual bleep is going on?" It was absolutely borderline unacceptable in my book to see that crowd for an NXT takeover. And they build it as the biggest crowd, just bring like zero of the energy. That said, really solid card. We'll get to the winner take all six man tag. Let's open up the show. MSK and Bronson Reed, the colossal Bronson Reed, which by the way, I love the fact that they've given him a really solid run as a just big badass babyface. And they're taking on Legato del Fantasma. It's the North American and NXT titles on the line. They had to have two referees present the titles, which in and of itself was kind of cool. But this was an amazing 
match. It's very much exactly what I expected to see with Legado del Fantasma being very much cruiserweight X Division style wrestling. You have Bronson Reed fitting in there as well. At one point, it's just straight up back and forth between MSK and Joaquin Wild and Ra- Excuse me, Raul Mendoza. I almost said Raquel Mendoza. We'll talk about Raquel Gonzalez in a little bit. But this was a really good, and it's something that I love to see with wrestling is you start off the show hot. I would, if I, I think I've talked about this before, but if I'm booking a show, and maybe one day I, I hope I could do such a thing and book a show, I'm probably opening up with a cruiserweight, flippy, bleep type of match. Because that's going to get me so much more into a show if I'm a fan. Because second I see dude just doing the flips and having all the fun in the world, it's going to turn into highly entertaining television, highly entertaining show, because everything else is going to have to step it up. You know that if you see the match tonight right out the gate, you're going to be over the moon because you saw, you've seen the peak of wrestling, if you will. This was really good. Match slowed down a little bit. Bronson Reed tagged in. Then Santos Escobar tagged in. And they tagged right back out when Bronson Reed got in. I absolutely like that spot a lot. The double team moves they had in here were outstanding. At one point, they had a setup for the big boy Centon, and it looked just rough to where I, I can't even really explain it off top, but it was one of those like very weird, like basically they grabbed him by the arms and legs and swung him around, and then you have Bronson Reed just hit him with a Centon off the second rope. I was like, whoa. This looked like it was absolutely just brutal as hell. But these these guys were putting together some really good double-team maneuvers, and that's what you expect from MSK, who have definitely been like the kings of the tag-team division over in WWE. And I'd say the entire tag-team division, even though there ain't much of one when it comes down to it. At one point, we get an amazing sequence of dives. The fans woke up a little bit at this point because they had a bunch of dives all over the place. Ends with a suicide dive by Bronson Reed knocking everybody over. Legato Del Fantasma takes over this point. Isolate Wesley. Reed got the hot tag and was dominating Mendoza, but Wild, I mean, excuse me, and Wild, he was taking over, but a momentum stop with a kick to the back of the knee. It was very much like Scott Pilgrim versus the world, whatever. Old girl got poked in the back of the knee and she just fell apart. Really cool stuff. And then you saw Escobar hit the Michinoku driver for two. He absolutely demolished. Escobar was absolutely just enraged outside the ring towards the end of the match. And Reed just destroyed him into the barricade. And first of all, I love the barricade spot. It's a phenomenal just move. Because one, it puts over the size of an opponent because they're able to, to tackle somebody into that thing. So it's badass to begin with. That said, this was freaking amazing. He just demolished him into the barricade and like the whole thing came down. I think you got the plexiglass. That's, I think, what makes the spot even more awesome now versus what we saw pre-pandemic. That kind of spot looks so much better because of the plexiglass. It makes you think it's like hockey, and those things aren't coming down. But no, this one came straight down, and Escobar's done. Now it's MSK, Bronson Reed. They secure the win. MSK hit their tag team finisher. That Bronson Reed hits the tsunami for the win. Really solid opening match. I'm giving it three and three quarter links of Boonamp. That's at least the way I have it. Then we go to the back and Todd setting up a match while he's with that backstage ring setup we see a lot on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown. Not as much in NXT, which is something that threw me off for a moment, but I liked it. 
and Todd setting up the next match and is one to show it to an old CRT. Also referenced Stephanie Wean. Oh, I didn't necessarily remember all that much. It was definitely an obscure hit. Then I had to Google it, and turns out that's what he was referring to his his colleague during the in your house era and calling Mackenzie Mitchell Stephanie Wean, which is absolutely hilarious. And it was one to show the video package for Zia Lee versus Mercedes Martinez on an old CRT, which again. It's stuff like that I'm going to pop for because it's steering into the skit. It's being meta without being overly meta. Like, if you remember watching a show like Community back in the day, you know what I'm talking about when it comes to being, like, a little bit more overly self-aware with some humor. This was self-aware, but it worked. I think WWE does a great job with that from time to time, and this is a prime example of it. It's a lot like a few years ago when AEW did their first Fighter Fest. They kept making Fire Fest references the entire night. And it all made sense. It all was kind of getting to the point of saying, hey, this is what we are. We're pro wrestling, and it's goofy. Why not just embrace the entire thing? And it was absolutely perfect all the way through. And they did this all night. They had all these obscure references from the 90s that all the people who watch the network, watch Peacock on a regular basis, probably do get. Probably the NXT audience, that's that 18 to 49, maybe not on that 18 side, but I'd say more my age, a little bit younger, but at the same time, those core fans in that 18 to 34, more skewing towards 32 to 34, maybe a little bit older, absolutely loved. And that brings us to Zia Lee versus Mercedes Martinez. I haven't seen much of Zia Lee since she's made the shift to Tian Shah, but God, I want to see more of her on a regular basis. First off, she has an awesome entrance. She has a giant sword, and it looks like something straight out of Mortal Kombat. The entire, the gear she has, everything. Even the camera angles here make it look so much different than other entrances. It felt much more cinematic. And I'm not saying cinematic like we saw Goldust with the widescreen 16x9 type thing where he had, we had the letterbox. That's different. This is, this was straight up, hey, we're going to go ahead and do something very different and let's make it work. And Xia Li, the giant sword she had alone, I'm like, hell yeah, use that in the match. I want to see it be used. wasn't used, but this is a really good match. Xia Li started off dominant right from the jump, but at one point Mercedes took care of business and handled things, attacking the legs. At one point, Xia Li was outside the ring, and she barely got in before the count of nine. There was some really good suplexes here, hard-hitting. Martinez had a great butterfly suplex, and Lee hit a later on a impressive rich clutch exploder so damn good M- martinez tries to go for the finish with a air raid crash but she gets out of it and lands a huge kick for the win it looked very much you know trouble in paradise esque i don't know what i don't know if they actually called it a what they called the move or not but live as i'm watching like this was freaking cool and i give it three links to Budan. And I give credit to Mercedes Martinez. She sold that thing like it was a gunshot. Short, sweet, effective match. Three links of Boudin. Not too bad, not too good. But it was still a passable match. I think three links of Boudin is good enough for me. Zia Lee gets a chair. Tries to attack Martinez, but she counters. Hits Lee and Boa with the chair. She threatens to break her neck. And then we see Mei Ling finally rise out of her throne. And that's when you know S is getting real. You know when Ish is getting real, whenever Mei Ling rises out of her throne for the first time ever. And they have a standoff across the entrance ramp. And they get closer and closer and closer. Mei Ling tries to choke out 
Mercedes Martinez, but gets out of it. She hits her with the chair, then just before she's about to hit her over the back with the chair, she locks in the choke hold again and then throws her into the barricade. The strength she had in it was amazing. And again, great job by Martinez for taking the bump a certain way. So damn good. And it, it, I, I absolutely want to see more of this. Yes, it's more supernatural. Yes, it's more Lucha Underground-esque. But damn it, if I don't like it. I think there's a place for it. And if you kind of isolate it in its own little world, where, oh, hey, you know, right now it's Mercedes Martinez going up against Mei Ling, and then you take Mei Ling away for a while. And then when it's time to find out who the next person is, you just do the same thing you did with Mercedes Martinez, where you basically put up the mark on her. That would wind up putting this over in a good way, because... She's only going to show up when it's time for her next feud. She doesn't need to be an NXT Women's Champion. She doesn't need to be a WWE Raw or SmackDown Women's Champion. She just needs to have these moments where she so- shows up like The Undertaker and Tian Shah really makes this thing work. So I'm okay with it. I absolutely loved it. Hopefully you did as well. Then we get to backstage, another backstage segment with Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa calling out Grizzled Young Vets. We're going to see those two face off on Tuesday. That's going to be a lot of fun. Those two can put on those two teams can put on bangers and those four guys can put on some phenomenal matches. Now we get to a match that I probably could say is match of the night, bar none. And it's the billion dollar championship ladder match. It is LA Knight versus Cameron Grimes. First of all, this is probably my favorite part of the pay review, the build to it, and should have been the main event. And it opens up fans pop for DiBiase coming out. He's joined by security who had the million dollar championship in a glass case. They put the championship up in a glass case which I was hoping would have played into the storyline, but it didn't. And these two just went completely all out from start to finish. Fans were completely behind Grimes to the moon chance throughout the night. Really good stuff. He took control early on, but very much a back-and-forth battle. I like the joust fight between Grimes and Knight. It's a spot I think doesn't nearly get as much love in one-on-one ladder matches, but it was still good enough. Grimes took over after that by sliding the ladder out of the ring and into the chest of Knight. Then he had a PK to the outside. He tried to get a little more damage in, try to end the man's career pretty much, but Knight took over. Grimes just, like, yeeted Knight with a suplex into the ladder that was in the corner. He teased hitting the ladder right into a region that if LA Knight, if it hit, LA Knight might not be having kids anytime soon. But Knight moved out of the way and hits a neck breaker on Grimes into the ladder. Oh my God, when that bump, I was like, Jesus, that is, that's some bad juju there. That was not a great look for him. I was like, what the hell is going on? That was just rough. And the Knight sets up a couple ladders around the ring, even outside the ring. And if you know the rules of wrestling, you set something up, you're going to go through it, guaranteed. And this happened twice in that match. At one point, Grimes gets the gold ladder after pushing Knight out of the ring into the ladder on the side. Then Knight just immediately pretty much no-sells it, even though he didn't go through it, so I can live with it. Grimes, both these guys are on the top of the ladder, and then he just throws Knight off, but Knight lands on his feet. He gets up, knocks down Grimes off the ladder. We're back to square one. And these two just completely go nuts here. Grimes at one point dives off of the steel truss, which first of all, for a split second, I thought they were going to do a spot where Grimes keeps climbing up and the, and the truss was going to be set up. He's going to start climbing like in the Ultimate X match, 
like he did back in the X Division. But I was like, oh god, if they do something like that, that'd be awesome. A great finish to where you could have like both of them going Ultimate X style, trying to get it without the ladder. But that didn't happen. Because he had to dive with the steel truss, which looked great. Grimes got his fingers on the glass case, but Knight threw him onto the ladder to the outside, and then he claims the million-dollar championship for himself. This was a four-Lingsabudan type match. I am still not a huge fan of Eli Drake and now L.A. Knight, but these two knocked it out of the park. Probably was going to be my favorite match tonight till the main event. Now we get to the NXT Women's Title Match: Raquel Gonzalez versus Ember Moon, Battle of Power versus Speed. I'm not gonna lie, this was a damn strong match, and Raquel just really proved herself as being just this women's champion that can be completely dominant. She had some really great spots at one point. She had like a really cool, innovative move where she grabbed Moon by her legs, threw her up in the air a little bit, just enough to where she could grab her and did a one-arm sidewalk slam. What the hell? Moon started to fight back, though. Had a really good code red for two. She locked in a very unique kind of hole. I didn't know. They, again, there's some spots they did not call, and then again, I shouldn't expect anything less from WWE, who never really call like holds what they are, unless it's like a surfboard stretch or something, something basic, or they can just use it like it is their signature move. For instance, the LaBelle lock is down with the yes lock in WWE canon. And at one point, you know, Dakota Kai helps out in a big way. Kai helps Raquel get the ropes. Ref still doesn't throw her out, which makes the ref look like a complete dumbass. Champion goes to the outside, and Moon meets her with a suicide dive, and Gonzalez falls right into the commentary team's lap. Throw her back in the ring. Flatliner gets a two count. Moon goes for the eclipse, but Kai distracts her. That allows her to hit a superplex for two. Raquel tries to go for the one-arm powerbomb, and that gets into a roll-up for two. Gonzalez, a stalling suplex, which looked great, but Moon hits a modified eclipse to stagger, hits the double knees, then goes back up top, hits the eclipse, but Kai puts Raquel's foot on the ropes. Ref never sees it for a second. Again, further proving why he should have ejected her after the second time, to be honest with you. But Shotzi Blackheart returns, evens the odds, and these two are fighting to the back. Tornado DDT on the entrance ramp for two. And they are absolutely going after it. But, again, Raquel keeps kicking out. Moon went for the eclipse. Gonzalez, Bruce Ford, brute forced her way out of that spot, retains the title with a one-arm powerbomb. This was a great title match, and I cannot wait to see more out of Raquel Gonzalez as the NXT Women's Champion. Phenomenal. Four links of Boudin here. She has already been built as a megastar. This is another reason why. Then just before the main event, we go to backstage one more time, and Todd Pettengill's playing karate fighters with Dexter Loomis. That's all i got to say about that. That was an amazing little segment, little bit in the show. Got to give a standing ovation to those guys getting it done. Meanwhile, i got to say this. This is my hot take here. Karate Fighters was a fun game back in the, way, back in the day, but I think Crossfire was better. Crossfire was a much more fun, like, early 90s, it's not, I wouldn't consider it a board game per se, but it's a fun little game. I, I don't know what you would call it, to be honest. I'm going to pull this up right now, because Karate Fighter is more of like a novelty game, but I feel like Crossfire is is not really a board game per se. I guess apparently they are calling it a board game, I, I guess, but I remember back in the day, we had the Crossfire stuff in like the early 90s, and I kept seeing those commercials all the time. I think my uncle 
had one at my, my my grandma's house. And I remember just messing around with it once, never actually playing the game, but just seeing, like, just shooting those little, like, marbles around. That was a ton of fun. And those things were awesome. But now we get to the main event. Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, Johnny Gargano, and Karrion Cross all vying for the NXT Championship in a fatal five-way. And I got to say, the best part about this was Johnny Gargano walking out with his Shawn Michaels gear and has that Magneto look as well. It's like a double meaning. And Shotzi and Kai are out brawling while he walks out. Then he gets out the door at the In Your House entrance set and then closes the door. I pop for that so freaking hard. It's it, stuff like that I laugh my head off at. And then I kind of came to a realization. This is another thing that I just got to say I hate is the fact that every single theme song in NXT is the same bleeping thing. It sounds all the same. I wish you had more like Jim Johnson's of the world who could make or ruckus, even ruckus. Like even though a lot of stuff does sound somewhat similar, it has its own kind of feel to it. You're able to have guys you're working with to create new theme songs and stuff like that. If that guy saw, I don't remember who it was exactly, but Jamie Josta's doing a damn song for AEW. And I, I'm going to have to pull this up because I saw it on Twitter and I'm sure he retweeted it. Yeah. Frankie Kazarian's new entrance music, which debuted is made by Jamie Josta of hate Bree. That's freaking awesome. Like why not start working stuff like that? You already have a relationship with Poppy and she's created some cool stuff. So why not get something going on with her? But again, not my business. This was absolutely zero to a hundred match all the way through. I really couldn't get to everything that happened in the match, but I can get you through some of the bullet points. They had a really cool like tornado F five spot by Cross. At least that's what they called that. Seems a little bit redundant. They got a two count. Gargano had a great House of Fire spot at one point, countering the Panama Sunrise with probably the safest dead eye I've ever seen. Absolute chaos from start to finish. Even yet, Cole and O'Reilly team up with a double power bomb to put Cross into the announce table. The table doesn't break, which is par for the course for NXT. Just never really get to see the table break all that much unless you know Tony Storm touches it and then it falls apart. At one point, we got to see Kyle and Pete Dunne just square off. They had an outstanding like back and forth of technical wrestling. I'd love to see these guys be in like an ultimate submission match, like we saw Kurt Angle be in with Benoit in like 2001, where it's like a 30 minute time limit because that match would freaking slap. Or maybe that's just me. Maybe it's the fact that I love that kind of stuff. Maybe it's it's got its own variant, and it's just back and forth all the way through. Cole looks like he is about to win the title. These guys are just going back and forth. And I love the way they ended the match. You know, Cross is trying to get all the Cross jackets in on Dunn and Gargano. Kyle O'Reilly rallies, takes everybody out. Adam Cole activates Superkick Party. O'Reilly then locks in a leg lock on Cole. It looks like Kyle O'Reilly's finally going to do it. He's going to beat Adam Cole again and win the NXT title. He's finally going to do it. He's going to be able to overcome all these demons. And then all of a sudden, Karrion Cross gets his cross jacket in. And like Kyle O'Reilly is holding on for dear life. He's about to die. Straight up die. And he's holding on to that hold as long as he can just to make sure he gets that submission win. He wants to make Cole tap out before he passes out. The storytelling in that was absolutely mwah, chef's kiss. But O'Reilly passes out. Cross retains. 
Such a cool finish. Four and a half links of Budan match of the night. Complete utter chaos from start to finish. I loved it. And then the show ends on a cliffhanger. Like NXT TakeOver is ending on a cliffhanger. I don't think I've ever seen that before. But the way it ended was absolutely perfect. It was so good. You have Regal talking about how much he, how he's never seen so much bedlam in his seven years as GM of NXT. And he says maybe it's time for a change. Great ending to a really good takeover. On In terms of the card up and down, maybe not necessarily in terms of the memorable qualities of it, because there wasn't much that you really remember in terms of just moments that stand out. And at the end of the day, that's what pay-per-views are supposed to be, and that's being, you know, filled with emotion and moments. I didn't necessarily get that from this, but still a phenomenal kind of show that NXT TakeOver put together in terms of the wrestling qualities. All right, welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. We're going to do something new this week. I'm going to try and do this every single week and go look at other matches from other companies and give you an idea of what you should go check out. And it's going to be more uh, this week wrestling type stuff versus anything else. And I can't tell you how much I am loving some of the stuff that was put out this week. So I'm going to give you two that I recommend you go out of your way. Go check out however you do so. First off, we got to go with the NXT UK Women's Championship match between Kaylee Ray and Miko Satamora. This was a match that I heard a lot of love for, and I'm like, I have to go check out. This was absolutely well worth the free 99 I got for this, because, again, it's on Peacock, and if you have a certain cable, cable provider, you can actually get Peacock for free, which is kind of cool. And I hardly ever watch NXT UK because there's almost too much wrestling to begin with for me to keep tabs on. Sometimes I miss complete shows because I don't necessarily remember to tune in. But I had the chance to tune into this week's show. I watch it right after NXT TakeOver in your house. And first off, I, I didn't watch, I had it on. I didn't watch the entire show. I just had it on as background noise. I'm waiting for Satamora. I also finalized my notes for In Your House. So I had it on. And at one point, I just say, I'm going to go ahead and just tune in and enjoy this for the next hour. And I got to say, I love the set they have for the show during the pandemic. It just looks really cool. Yes, the one thing I'm going to say about this is the piped-in crowd noise sucked. And this was the biggest negative I had about the match. Because there was moments where it felt like the most extreme elimination challenge crowd was the live studio audience. You are oh, like, I could literally just tell you there's like four or five moments where I was like, wait a minute. Why am I hearing this clearly fake noise? And it's one thing where you're hearing like like fake, you know, the hair dryer crowd noise. No, this was straight up like canned, like live studio audience circa 1995 type thing. I was like, what the hell is going on? But then we get to the actual match. This was phenomenal. Hard hitting as hell. These two absolutely went at it for about 20 minutes. The energy, at one point, they're exchanging strikes like crazy. At one point, Kaylee Ray hits her with a super kick. Miko's still smiling after that, which spoke to the fighting spirit she had all throughout the match. The energy throughout, amazing storytelling. Because the final boss of NXT UK wasn't going to go down that easily against the forever reign of Kaylee Ray. And she hit the gory bomb. That got a two count on the outside. Excuse me, she hit the gory bomb on the outside, then Satomura kicked out on 2.9. 
so many close calls for all the women. And the energy for the commentators, these are guys I've never really heard before, but damn, they they brought it, and they had a good level of energy throughout. Then Sotomayor, the finishes, Sotomayor hits the Death Valley driver, hits the rising scorpion kick, which is almost like the black magic of Loki, but Loki never sees this. He's ever like, you stole my finisher. But this was really good. To put that kind of match on Peacock is always cool to see. Go check it out on Peacock if you get a chance. This one's on YouTube, actually. And i got to show some love to AEW Dark. Again, this is a show I don't necessarily watch all that much, but if I'm hearing a lot of buzz from people on the Internet, I'm going to go ahead and go out and watch this just to see what kind of idea I have about what's going on and who is involved in it. And it's Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. This is absolutely the stuff that I'm going to go ahead and tune in for. I would love to see like a... I don't have an X Division title because it's you don't want to rip off that gimmick. And I feel like Cruiserweight title, it's lost some of its luster. But you got to come up with something, something different in terms of a name or naming the division. Because I think these matches could do wonders for Dynamite, Dark. Especially, I think Dark Elevation and Dark and Rampage would need to have this to make it seem like a big deal. Just to defend on occasion. I know they're eventually going to unveil Trio's titles. I want to see an X-Division-esque title just so we can see more of this kind of crap. Dante Martin, Matt Seidel, absolutely crushed it. This was very much, you know, stuff that I remember. And I've talked about this is something we do all summer long. It's like talk about moments that got you into wrestling. And I've talked about Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stunning Santa. But I think it was also the late era WCW stuff that kept me going because you had guys who were small. I was very much like a, like a skinny kid growing up. Mind you, I've put on much more weight now. But watching those matches back in the day, that's how, that's what got me into wrestling is the cruiserweight stuff. Even now, I still love the junior heavyweight flippy stuff. And I mentioned earlier with the MSK opening tag match on TakeOver In Your House, it was one of my favorite things of the show. And damn, if this wasn't the same kind of thing, because it felt like it was a blend of the high spots we'd see from these guys on a regular basis, good technical wrestling that you would see in ROH. So it felt like a good blend. And these two absolutely put together a really good contest that reminded me a lot of the early TNA Asylum years in the X Division. We saw Jerry Lynn and AJ Styles put on absolute bangers. It's stuff like that that makes me just love pro wrestling again. And most matches on Dark are quick. Get your stuff in matches. It's enhancement stuff. It's usually about three or four minutes. This was like a 13-minute contest. And... Really was well done. They had a great double down, followed by a camera angle that's not used nearly enough, and that was the top down while they both suffered the bump. It's a top down perspective, the Wiley Coyote cam. I remember they used it on Monday Night Raw once during like a ladder match, and every time I see that angle, it's so freaking cool. And I wish they used that more. I know they had photos from Money in the Bank a few years ago with AJ Styles, but I would love to see more of those kind of like camera angles because that's going to mean so much more at least to me and i love the fact that you have like some really cool spots in this matt sidell hit a spin kick counter of martin's flying nothing and then sidell demolished meteora with a kick to the dome then hit lightning spiral for the win really solid stuff here from start to finish with these guys and it's a main event for a show that's not necessarily watched all that much it's on youtube not many people really, truly watch it, but I'm watching it in the aftermath. 
And I thought this was a really good 13-minute contest that I think deserves a little bit of your time. And I'd say, it's not. I'm not going to give it to Lincoln Boudin because I can't really give a Lincoln Boudin to that. But I think I would definitely say, go out of your way, check it out. It's a deep cut that I think you'll enjoy. And welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Cajun Strong Style or on, excuse me, Cajun Strong's Pod. That's Cajun Strong Pod on Twitter, at Cajun Strong Style on that there Facebook. You can check us out over there. And if you have any questions you want to throw our way, go ahead and hit us up that way. We'll have the email open before too long. We'll get that on down the road. That said, we're going to also add another thing to the show, add something new to the podcast. And it's what I liked, what I hated from wrestling this week. And I'll start on the positive note. That's how we're going to do it. I'm going to do two things, and one thing I really like, one thing I really freaking hated. The thing I liked this week was Matt Cardona and Nick Gage. They had expert storytelling. It all started on Sunday at GCW Zombie Crawl. A really fun show, but you have a spot where Nick Gage is in the ring, and then all of a sudden you see this hooded figure, or masked figure, I guess you could say, and he's out there mimicking John Moxley's mannerisms. So everybody's thinking, oh, John Moxley's going to show up and beat up Nick Gage, and we can see this feud because they kind of did something over the course of WrestleMania weekend and Bloodsport or something like that. There's something that we, or not, not Bloodsport, but it was over the course of that WrestleMania weekend. Let's see that. Nope, it's Matt Cardona shows up, takes the mask off, and he is the immediate, like, biggest heel in the business. So Damn fun. Like the fact the reveal people pop for them, they're all booing them. It's a perfect kind of shot. It's a perfect screenshot of why Matt Cardona, former Zack Ryder, is probably one of the best guys in terms of like promotional type stuff. If he ran his own promotion, I think you'd wind up seeing that thing get over a lot, especially on YouTube. And be able to do these angles. So awesome. But it gets taken to another level on Friday. During the Major Brothers, or not the Major Brothers, listen to me, the Wrestling Figure Podcast live over at Jimmy's Seafood in Baltimore, Maryland, which I've heard is a great place. So they go ahead and do the show live, and all of a sudden Nick Gage shows up and is legitimately wanting to fight Zack Ryder. Everybody has their phones out, and people are losing their ever-loving bleep. And again... It's selling a feud, and this is all going to be coming to a head at GCW Homecoming. I probably wouldn't care about GCW Homecoming if it wasn't for Matt Cardona versus Nick Gage. It's something so different. You never thought you'd see something like it, but now you're getting it, and I want to see Matt Cardona get his bleep kicked in. I want to see Nick bleep and Gage beat up Matt Cardona. So that alone, it was awesome. And the fact they managed to sell it, this is a guy, again, that got over like Rover on his own, Back in the, you know, WWE, he got extremely over and they punished him for it. This guy is getting over on his own and has put together a really fun thing that I can't wait to see come to a head. I can't wait to see what the payoff is. But then we get to something I absolutely hated. It was dreadful. And I, I, I hated it. And I'm going to try not to curse on the show, but Monday Night Raw ended with Alexa Bliss, Lily, Shayna Baszler. I think I mentioned this before. I know I mentioned it on our Twitter that basically Alexa Bliss is cocky. 
if you've ever seen Trailer Park Boys, you know what I'm talking about. But Lily is essentially Conky. And Conky, if you've never seen Trailer Park Boys, I'll kind of quickly explain it. So Conky basically was the puppet Bubbles, the character. He he had a puppet, or ventriloquist dummy, I should say, that basically would take over his mind and have him do all these horrible things and put these put his friends into jeopardy until eventually Ricky basically shoots no Julian shot the puppet and then they brought him back later but that's a different story for a different day more talking about the original episode with Conky from the like throwback OG Trail Park Boys and all of a sudden Lily gets stomped on by Shayna Baszler and now Lily has become fully alive and can just wreak all the havoc in the world. So we got Shayna Baszler, who has already been like denigrated to a certain, to beyond a certain point. And we see Shayna Baszler, a legitimate fighter, shoot fighter in MMA, who has a pretty decent record. Somebody that was a former NXT women's champion, built up really well who's now tag-teaming with Nia Jax, which is a fate worse than death, I think. And you have her scared of a bleeping puppet. What are we doing? This is why Raw's ratings are in the toilet, because of crap like that. It's frustrating to me as a wrestling fan. Like If I were to show that to a non-wrestling fan, if I were to show that to... If I, if I were dating a woman and I showed her wrestling, and I showed her that moment, she would probably break up with me in a New York minute because she thinks I like this stuff. That's not how you draw money. It's a lot like WrestleMania Backlash when we had the damn zombies. We're back to this. There's supernatural stuff that's cool, like Lucha Underground, like Tian Sha. This sucked so much ass. I was glad I didn't watch this live. I read a lot about it. watched the clip. They put up on YouTube. I wanted to just be as frustrated as possible. But I say, you know what? This is as expected. This was the end game in all this. Alexa Bliss with her little dolly, and the dolly is possessed now that Shayna Baszler stepped on it. I can't defend this. I'm feeling like Dave LaGreca every single week when he's watching AEW, or excuse me, WWE, and he's seeing more crap. I am absolutely sick and tired of it. And I want to see more of actual good wrestling. But I don't think I'll ever get that. I don't think we'll ever get back to that point with WWE. And I talked about this last week, talking about the, the releases. Is the fact that WWE is more obsessed with making money. And trust me, I understand that side completely. They are a content company now. They're not a company dedicated to the sport of professional wrestling. And again, it makes perfect sense to me. I'm sure it makes perfect sense to you. Because at the end of the day, WWE is making more money because of their content library, more making more money because of their tape library than they are actually putting on competent wrestling. Because at the end of the day, WWE is getting paid like a billion dollars by Fox. They're getting paid God knows how much money by 
NBC just for Monday Night Raw. Then it's like a billion dollars for Peacock. He's making money hand over fist, but the wrestling isn't getting any better. So if you think it's ever going to get any better, get that out your mind. It's never going to happen. At least it's just the way I see it. All right, we'll wrap up the show next with some thoughts on UFC 263. A really, I'll say mediocre show. I didn't watch the entire thing from start to finish. I was busy with a bunch of other stuff over the weekend with LSU and the Super Regional, which, by the way, kind of sucked to see LSU lose and get eliminated that early. But, you know, things happen. That said, the stuff I did see was pretty doggone cool. You had a really good prelim match that got a lot of the headlines with a two-punch man. Yes, literally, in the prelims, you had a guy knock out another guy with two bleeping punches. And that was, I I was like, what the hell just happened? Terrence McKinney in the early prelims, this was on ESPN Plus in the fight pass. Terrence McKinney knocked out Matt Favola in seven seconds, just two punches, and that was it. It almost reminds me of uh, the old saying, there's going to be two hits, me hitting you and you hitting the floor. That's exactly what happened. I was like, what the hell? Like, seven seconds. This dude literally pulled a two-punch man in his UFC debut. That's badass in and of itself. But I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead because I'm going to go to the last three fights because I didn't see much of anything else. I jumped in right on time for Nate Diaz, Leon Edwards. And Nate Diaz looks completely just gone. And he looked awful that entire fight. It was virtually all Nate Diaz. Excuse me, Leon Edwards from Jump Street. I mean, it was 49-46, unanimous decision, complete dominance. The fact they had this five rounds is almost like a joke in and of itself. The fact it's not for a title, and it's not the main event, and it's five rounds. I hope that never happens again, because this looked like a joke. And he looked awful. Till about the last minute. The last like minute to 90 seconds was the most exciting I had all night watching UFC. Because it freaking ruled. Diaz had Leon Edwards on the ropes. He was rocked. But Diaz just couldn't finish the job. Edwards kept fighting back. So bleeping cool to see that go down. Then we get to Brandon Moreno and Figueredo, a really good flyweight championship match with Brandon Moreno getting an upset win with a rear naked choke. That was, that was fun. He got it done in the third round. Really good. I was like, hell yeah, this is great. Phenomenal moment for him. And I'll go back to one fight I did not see, but I heard a lot about it. And that was Paul Craig, Jamahal Hill, and Al Guinea deserves so much heat. I say damn near all of it. He should be questioned heavily and criticized for what he did. Because you had Hall's arm, Hill's arm, excuse me, Hill's arm basically was like a propeller spin around because it was that broken. And the fight was allowed to continue. It wasn't allowed to continue till the end of the round, but it was continued long enough to where you're like, what the hell? Like, 
the dude's arm's broken. Stop the fight. Like, it was like, what the bleep is going on? His arm was broken. I wish him nothing but the best. But Hill got hosed with that. Like, should have ended the match way sooner. But then we get to the main event. Israel Adesanya taking on Marvin Vittori. And I got to say, he had hands down the most boring main. He is the most boring fighter in UFC right now. Israel Adesanya, the style bender. He has some really good fights from time to time, but I think for the most part, he puts together some boring ass fights. And I just can't get into it. I mean, you look at, he's only had, like, he's had, out of his 21 wins, he's had six decisions. But the bulk of them have been since he won the UFC middleweight championship. The like three of his last four fights outside of Paulo Costa, who, which he won it by knockout in the second round in 2020, have all been by unanimous decision. Like what was going on there? And he bounced back nicely from a loss to Blackowitz that happened back in March. Surprised they only allowed him a couple months to kind of rest up for this fight, but it is what it is. Israel Adesanya proved to me a lot. And I think it's the fact that he just isn't that good. He's a good fighter, but I think he's just not that entertaining. And if you're going to wind up getting towards the top of the league, the top of the UFC in terms of your draw and your box office rate, you got to have more. And I feel like his, his fighting style doesn't bode well for that. I just could not get into UFC 263's main event, and I'm hoping 264 is a lot better than, again, it should be because it's going to be a local native, Poirier McGregor, Part 3, the trilogy fight. Cannot wait for it. That's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Make sure you leave a five-star review on iTunes. You better go check us out on whatever you get your podcast gimmicks from. We'll be back next week reviewing Hell in a Cell and more.